You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and this is my conversation with the frontman and bassist for a band called Red Fang. His name is Aaron Beam. Red Fang are touring Australia with a band called Drunk Mums. Love that band name. The tour is through May. I'll read out some dates quickly. Thursday the 10th, they're playing the Brightside in Brisbane. Friday the 11th, they're playing the Cambridge Hotel in Newcastle. Saturday the 12th, they're playing Manning Bar in Sydney. Sunday the 13th, they're playing the Corner Hotel in Melbourne. Tuesday the 15th, they are playing the Barwon Club in Geelong. And finally, on Wednesday the 16th, they are playing Fowler's Live in Adelaide. Let's see what Aaron has to say. Here we go. Wonderful. Okay, Aaron, welcome to the show. Tell us about the show that Red Fang are bringing down to Australia because you are touring with the uh, absurdly and also brilliantly named Drunk Mums. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh... They were excited to um, to be doing the tour with them, doing a little package with them. We had a a list of uh, different um, support band possibilities sent over to us when we first looked into this tour as a possibility, and um, and they stood out from the rest and uh, for sure. And uh, uh, and then we were also um, we were also told by the local <clears throat> the guy arranging the tour in Australia that they they have a pretty good draw down there. So mm-hmm. um, it's exciting to be able to do a package tour coming down this time. Um, last time it was just us on our own. And so, uh, yeah. uh, you know, there's something about the predictability of having having another band that's going to be the same every night. It's pretty nice. Yeah, sweet. And have you got a lot of feedback from Australian fans and listeners over the years? In other words, is there a demand for you to come down to Australia evident from the communication flow? Um, I mean, I feel like as much as, as any place, you know, the, the most common form of seeing um, support or whatever you want to call it is, is basically whenever you post something on any kind of social media and then immediately uh, people's reaction is, you know, come to Madison or come mm. to Australia or whatever. So, yeah. you know, we get yeah. about the same number of requests for Australia as we do for Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and of course, the way that that stuff usually works, it'll be like, uh, you know, we'll post something about playing in in Minneapolis, and we just played Madison two nights earlier, and somebody will write, <laughs> inevitably will write, come to Madison, and we'll say, we were just there two nights ago, you idiot. Yeah, Jamie Jaster on his podcast talks a lot about that. He gets hit up a lot when he goes somewhere, and then exactly like what you're saying, someone a day or two later says, why don't you come here? And it's like, for God's sakes, we were just through there. Do you not look at social media? I'm, I mean, they're on. They're commenting yeah, on your exactly. band's posts. So what what do you think goes on? I mean, Jesus. Right. It's pretty hilarious to us at this point. I mean, I, I'm not on any of those social media. I just kind of see some of it. Um, it filters through sometimes, but uh, but yeah. But no, as far as like the other thing, I guess, as far as, um, you know, feedback and demand for coming down there, we wouldn't have gotten asked to come back by the local promoter um, if there weren't enough of a yeah. demand down there. So I hope. So, it look, you know, ticket sales look like they're pretty good. So I think we'll have some pretty good shows when we're down there. Look, your style of music, I remember as far back as when Entombed started touring Australia in the early and mid 90s. Um, and then there were bands like the Helicopters oh, yeah. that split off that. And then, of course, there was Fu Manchu. And um, it really goes right back to Blue Cheer because you guys, the sound that you guys produced to me sounds a lot like what Blue Cheer were doing back in the day. There's a big demand or there's certainly a rather sizable audience for that type of rock and roll down here in Australia. It just seems to suit our country's musical narrative. <laughs> 
That makes sense. I mean, I guess if you think about, especially uh, the Bon Scott era of mm. ACDC, it was sort of kind. It was like had at least the same uh, energy to it musically. It was a little bit cleaner, um, uh, sort of like more user friendly, but um, had that same sort of like just disregard for um, disregard for uh, politeness. I guess maybe. Yes. It's, that's the best word I can come up with for, you know, right now is that just sort of that there's a lot of sneering, I guess, in yeah. that kind of music. And, um, we don't really, we don't sneer, but I do think that we, you know, we're not, we're not really trying to fit into some sort of a, a, uh, conventional mold as far as mm. the music, what we, you know, the music that we're actually producing. So, yeah, I like that about you guys, actually, because, yeah, all the rock and roll you've mentioned is rock and roll with a very stiff middle finger, but you guys have a wicked sense of humor at the same time. So in preparation for the conversation, I found some vids on YouTube, specifically your bass player. Oh, yeah. Because, well, you know, I'm a musician, I'm a bass player and a guitarist, <laughs> but primarily a bass player. So I thought, okay. God, for Relapse Records, this is going to be a bit unusual having a, a bass player long video because there's very few of them online, you're probably aware. And I thought I'll I'll sit down and yeah. I've got my. I wasn't of... aware, honestly, because those, because those sorts of things <laughs> I just don't. Honestly, I pay zero attention to that kind of stuff. But sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just thought it was hilarious because I honestly sat down expecting to see a bass play along video to one of your tracks, but then it became apparent that in Australia we call it <laughs> taking the piss, and I, I appreciated. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, oh, good. I think some people were kind of a little bit irritated with it, but I just feel like. Um, uh, you know, I've seen a number of play along videos and I remember, you know, when I, when I was a, a like 15 year old and trying to learn how to play guitar, it was, um, buying like guitar world magazine and getting the yes. tabs for mm -hmm. a Metallica song or whatever it was. That was the way you did it. Um, and then I remember reading a story about, um, James Hetfield saying he didn't know how to read music at all. And some kid brought him a tab and it was like this master puppets, this section sounds weird to me. I'm not sure if this is right. Can you fix this for me? And he was like, Oh sure. And he grabbed it and rewrote a bunch of the notes, but he said he had no idea what he was even writing. And so he's just <laughs> totally screwing up this kid's uh, idea about how the song went. But uh, hilarious, you know, I, I guess I kind of feel like it's a little bit of taking the piss, but I also think that there's a le you know, there's some, um, there's something to be gained from, uh, the trying to figure that stuff stuff out yourself, like figured, figuring yeah. it out by ear and figuring out how to play those things the way that you would play them and not play them the way that somebody else is going to, because everybody's hands are a little bit different and everybody's kind of, uh, you know, everybody's style is a little bit different. And so you don't, I, in, in my opinion, I don't ever want to play something, even if I'm doing a cover, I don't want it to sound exactly like the, you know, the famous version of that song. I want it to sound like my version of the song. Hmm. Um, in my version of how I play the bass. And so that's part of the reason why I did that, but also because um, I also think it's kind of funny, the idea of me showing somebody how to play bass since I don't really consider myself that great of a bass player. <laughs> well, you can certainly keep a rhythm going. There's no doubt about that. So I'll ask you about your bass playing. What got you, you mentioned that you started playing guitar in your teens. So what encouraged you to switch across to the bass guitar and pursue that as a professional instrument? Uh, it, well, it was against my will, basically. Um, it, the first time I played bass was as soon as I moved out to Portland. Um, uh, I had been playing in a band where I was playing, you know, it was two guitars and bass and drums and then <clears throat> moved out with uh, one of the guys who had been in my high school band and 
it was like, well, I guess you've been playing guitar longer, so I'll play bass. And then once Red Fang started, it originally it was me and David and John uh, and Brian wasn't in the band yet, and I was playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And then Brian moved back, and basically, um, neither of those guys can play bass. And I had one, and I could play it, and so I took over, sort of against you know a little bit begrudgingly. But then I quickly realized that um, it's way easier to play bass when you're totally shit faced. And so <laughs> I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to, I'm just, I was a little bit like taking a little bit of my frustration out by just intentionally writing parts that were seemed like the kind of like dumbest version of the guitar part that I could come up with that would still work. But ultimately, I think it actually was better that way. I feel like, um, uh, my bass playing before Red Fang was like overly complicated because I was kind of trying to make up for the fact that I was really a guitar player at heart. And mm. as a result of the sort of Red Fang shift, I um, started playing much simpler, more direct to the point bass lines, which is a lot more effective. I mean, that's yeah. what, you know, some of the bass lines are, at least for that kind of music, you know, like. Jocko Pastorius playing along with Joni Mitchell is a whole other story, but that's not what we're doing. So, oh god, yeah, yeah. You mentioned some really interesting things there, and and on point things too, because I I do play. I'm a covers musician, effectively. I don't play in an originals band anymore, um, and I play a lot of funk sure. and disco numbers. And there simply aren't tabs out there that are correct when you're trying to play along to September by Earth, Wind and Fire or any of those sort of songs. So. When I've, or, or even when you start going into stuff like uh, Bernard Edwards' bass lines in Chic, for example, there, there isn't anything mm. out there that actually mm-hmm. even comes close to that. There are some pretty cool things online, uh, on uh, YouTube play-along clips yeah. online, but you've really got to go over those bits over and over them. So it's really important oh. that you mine your own creativity in that scenario, I find. And what you're talking about, even with your originals, yeah. when you're playing in Red Fang, that's what you're doing. You're mining your own creativity. You thought bugger the sacred cows. I'm just going to do this thing my way. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, you know, and I've played, um, and I've done plenty of cover things myself. I've played, I played in a Jesus lizard cover band a long time ago playing guitar. And there's no way to find, um, guitar parts for this. So I just had to make stuff up on my own. And then like after the fact, you know, we only played a couple shows after the fact I saw some video of, uh, uh, Oh my God, Dwayne, I can't believe I'm... Dwayne Dennis is a heck of a guitarist, um, yeah. Oh my God, so good. Yeah. And, but playing, uh, you know, songs that I'd figured out my way of playing them and then seeing that he just has a, just complete, he's in a totally different part of the neck and is like playing with, he's barely moving his hand at all because he's just doing these totally, he's doing like jazz shapes yeah, that I don't exactly. know. So I'm just yeah. doing it my, you know, I'm like jumping all over the neck and it, it's more or less the same notes. It just sounds a little bit different. So, yeah, gosh, that that that's a fantastic band, Jesus Lizard. It's so underrated. So, oh was my there, god, how did you get into a or what was the inspiration behind a, a covers band for Jesus Lizard material? Was this the early nineties or the mid nineties? Was it? It was. Yeah, it was like it was two years or so after uh, they had broken up, and hmm. it was actually a friend of mine. Um, a Portland guy who was, who was um, one of the sort of local worked for a local promoter and had played in bands that, you know, that I'd played with for years um, just in the like tiny Portland scene that was back then. And he was, his 30th birthday was coming up. And so he just asked me, he wanted to do it really badly for his 30th birthday. So 
I said, sure, I'll do it one time. It seems too early because the band had just broken up. But uh, I mean, because this was like 16 years ago or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe even longer. But um, uh, yeah, and it just was it was super fun. So we ended up doing another one about a year after that. And then I think that was it for me. But they kept going. They played a couple couple more shows after that. So yeah, well, that's that's a great story. And, and something I'll share with you is that I think Dwayne has written one of the most... Um, it's one of the most emotional... I don't know how else to say it, okay? So it'll sound a bit sappy when I say this, but one of the most emotional guitar lines that I've ever listened to is his work on a track by a band called Tomahawk, you know, the one that he did with uh, Dave Lombardo and... No, not Dave Lombardo. Oh, yeah. Um, Mike Patton. Yeah, it was the Mike Patton vehicle. But yeah, the, yeah. Tr- the, the cut, the sweet smell of success, that guitar line is just brilliant. I'm going to have to listen to it because uh, we actually... They were on the Soundwave tour when we did that uh, tour in Australia back in 2014 or 13. Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I went and I was watching, I was, I had to say something to him um, because I knew that I knew he knew of the existence of that, of the cover band that I'd been in um, (laughs) just through the grapevine. (laughs) And so I had to go like, you know, tap his shoulder and say something because we're all, standing side stage watching Slayer and he was there. And so I sort of like meekly introduced myself, but um, I'm not sure if he even understood any of the words as, uh, as English coming out of my mouth. So. <laughs> okay, cool. Hey, I've only got a few minutes left, so I've got to ask you this question here. When you appeared on Saturday Night Live, Paul Schaefer sat in with the band playing organ during the performance of the track Blood Like Cream. So what was that like? Oh my God. It was, it was so great. So <laughs> they asked us ahead of time if we wanted to have Paul play on the track. And I immediately was like, well, of course, I mean, he was in <laughs> spinal tap and he's an amazing musician. You know, like some people used to make fun of him for fitting in with every single band, but, um, uh, you know, I'm not going to pass up that type of an opportunity. So, and he came in or the dress rehearsals for the, uh, the tapings, they do the Friday taping um, on Thursday. And so we actually had to load in to the studio at, I think it was like 5.45 a.m. or something. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> and uh, did a bunch of dress rehearsals. We ended up getting to run through the song a bunch of times. Um, and Paul actually, I think we came back again um, at 10 or 11 or something. He came in and actually ran through the song with us like four or five times because he wanted to make sure that he had it right and had it all down mm-hmm. and then um when it was time to actually go we came back uh in the evening and he caught me in the elevator and he had like a chart written out and he was you know asking questions about you know at this point do you want me to do this like it would it be better to do this kind of like slide down or should i do this thing and so we're actually kind of like you know going over last minute notes about how he should do the performance and uh yeah and i thought that it you know there's organ on the uh, I think there's organ on the the album track, but yeah, having him on there was it was pretty great because he's such a professional and he basically just everything that I communicated in my sort of like Neanderthal way, he was <laughs> able to instantly translate into yeah, you know, um, some musical version of that on the organ. It was great. Yeah. All right, mate. I'll leave it there. Thank you so much for the conversation. It's been fantastic, actually. I'm glad we could talk about all those different things. So, um, good luck on the tour of Australia, mate. Yeah, me too. And I'll definitely try to get along to some of the shows, as we mentioned before. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay Smith, and that was my conversation with a fellow called Aaron Beam. 
He's the frontman and bassist for a band from the United States of America called Red Fang. Really appreciate you listening.